Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Let's get started today. Like I said, we are in a three-week series called Limitless, and, and last week I shared a little bit that this past year has been a year that's been kind of difficult because we've been under a lot of restrictions because of COVID, and it's been a year of adjustments. And, and I know that a lot of the restrictions are now being lifted and we're getting a little bit more freedom and, and it's starting to kind of slowly open up more and more. And, and I think we're all kind of enjoying that because it feels like a little bit of normality is coming back for our lives. But I want to share something before we get started today because I think it's really important. I feel like God um, maybe <laughs> gave this to me and, and just to share with, share with you today. Sometimes long-term restrictions, I was thinking about this as I was studying Sometimes long-term restrictions or limitations can stay with us for a lifetime. And I'm just really concerned that we, that we don't allow that to happen as the body of Christ. Um, that we don't allow what, what has been put into our lives, these temporary concerns, which were real, by the way, these temporary concerns that were real, that we don't make them long-term consequences for our life. And we, and we start missing out what God wants for us. Um, I, my wife was sharing about someone recently that um, since COVID, which is almost a year, they have not left their house once. Because of the fear that's been put onto their life. And I don't know that that's a good fear for us as believers, followers of Christ to have in our life. I understand that we need to be cautious. But there's a difference between being cautious and being fearful. Let me give you an example. Annette and I, if you didn't know this, Annette and I were in a travel business. My parents had a travel business. We, actually, my dad and I, my dad started, I was the first, I was his first employee right out of college, right? Or I was still in college. And I started working with dad. My mom didn't quit her job Yet she was working at Safeco Insurance. She didn't believe in dad quite yet to quit her job. So I stepped in and said, hey, I'll do this. And we started a travel business. And then mom joined us and it became a family business. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I was in that for about 10 years. My wife and I, we traveled all over the United States and Canada. We had a motor coach. And we, I, I was a driver. Uh, I was 22 years old driving seniors all around America. Can you imagine that? Would you go with me as 22 years old? I don't think so. And Annette was like 19 or 20. She was super young. I have pictures. One of these days I could bring a picture that people would just laugh at us. Anyhow, we were having a blast. We were doing all these wonderful things. And, but the majority of our clientele, the travelers that traveled with us, were seniors. They were in their 70s or 80s. And I'm a little older now than I was back then. And so if you add up the numbers, if you do the math... Most of our seniors were, were from, the, from that great America senior group. That was that, the greatest generation is what they called them. And they, they grew up through the, the depression years of the 30s. And, and they went through World War II as young. They were young adults. They weren't like little kids. They were actually, they remembered all this. And, uh, and they were the ones that were traveling with us. And they were wonderful, wonderful people. But one of the things that we noticed quickly is that some, not all, but some of the seniors never left those depression years. It was really interesting how those years that they lived in the Depression shaped their life from that point forward. Let me give you an example. We used to travel and we used to stop at hotels and, 
and then we would have different attractions that we'd go to. And then on our trip, a lot of times, we would, uh, you know, we'd stop and have dinner or lunch or whatever else. And most of the times, the meals were on their own. They paid for their own meals. But we'd book a restaurant because you can't take 40, 50 people all of a sudden just drop it in a restaurant. You'd freak them out. And so we would, we would just take one of the funniest things is when Annette and I were just by ourselves in the bus deadheading. And we'd pull a bus up to the restaurant. And they didn't, they didn't know we were coming. They would see this huge bus, and it was just the two of us. And they would start freaking out. Oh, the bus group is coming. Anyhow, that's funny. <laughs> Thank you for the courtesy laugh. Um, anyhow, so then um, we would take these seniors into the, to the restaurant, and they would start to eat. And one of the things that we noticed quickly, and my dad told me, you've got you to gotta take care of this because we're not going to be invited back to restaurants, is some of those seniors, that, especially the ones that grew up through those depression years, um, th- that hadn't come out of the depression. We'd have a nice meal. We'd have a nice restaurant. We'd have a nice dinner. And then after dinner, I, I would go, after they would leave the restaurant, I'd go around because I would see that they had left a 25-cent tip. And so we would go around and we'd put $5, $10 on each table just because we wanted to be invited back to these restaurants because that was our business, this travel club. But you know one of the things I started recognizing? It wasn't something that they were trying to be mean when they left a 25-cent tip. They were just still living in the depression years. They had never stepped out of those depression years because all of a sudden that shaped who they were. They were. It shaped how they formatted. They were still thinking that there wasn't enough. They were still living a very limited life. They were still living under these limitations of finances. And I want to share with you today, God never planned us to live under limitations that he has not put upon us. He wants us to live a limitless life. He wants us to step out in faith. In fact, his word says God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. There's times that we allow what the environment that's around us, that surrounds us, we allow that to dictate where we're heading. And I declare to you today, we need to have an environment of faith, an environment of hope, an environment of joy, an environment of love. We need to walk in that environment because that's where God's calling us to. Let's not all of a sudden acquiesce to the things of this world. Let's all of a sudden lift our say. And I'm not saying, and you, some are going to say, this is all. No, no, I understood that the reasons why we had to be restricted during COVID. I get that. But I'm just declaring over our people, our church. There is a day, 10 years from now, we're still not going to be living like there's COVID. that We can't come out of our house. There's a day we have to start stepping forward and putting our trust in God. Amen. I don't even know where I'm at, so here we go. Today I want to continue a discussion on how we can unlock God's power over our life. As we don't need to live in fear, we don't need to live in anxiety. I shared last week that our first step is to develop a relationship with Jesus. is choosing to put our faith and our, our belief in Jesus Christ. And not just in Him, but in His power of His resurrection. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, from the time when He was crucified on the cross, buried three days later, and then all of a sudden the Spirit of God brought Him to a life. That same power that brought Christ to life, you know what, when you follow after Jesus, that same spirit, that same presence is living in your life. And so guess what? You have the power of Christ in you. Sometimes we don't preach that message in in, in church today. I'm preaching that you have the power of God in you. You have the power of God in you. You have the very spirit of God. What Can I ask you, what couldn't you overcome with the spirit of God in you? There's nothing impossible about when you have God with you. All things are possible. That's what his word says. And so I want us to understand we've got to live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. 
But I believe the second step in unlocking God's power over our life is something that you're going to go like, huh, what are you talking about, Pastor Tom? But you're going to follow along with me. The second step in unlocking God's power over your life is to walk in humility. And we're going to go somewhere here. Follow along. Humility is not walking in fear. It's not walking as a timid person. It's not a person who puts their shoulders down, puts their head down, and walks like this and shuffles their feet because they're, they're, they're just, you know, concerned about what other people think about them. No, that's not, that's, that's not humility. It might be false humility, but it's not real humility. Many times we equate humility with someone who has low self-esteem. A person who allows others to trample over them. A person who allows just life to trample over them. That's such a humble person. No, 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 no. That's a person who just has no confidence. Godly humility is a person who puts their trust in the Lord and not in themselves. I just give you a definition. I would encourage you to write that down. Godly humility is a person who puts their trust in the Lord and not in themselves. There is a saying, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Remember, you are God's creation. He loves you. He created you. And he knows you before the foundation of the earth. He knows who you are. So there's nothing that should be where you should think of yourself as, as being less than. It's just humility is thinking of yourself less so that all of a sudden God can be, be more of an appearance in your life. See, you can be a humble person and still be a person full of confidence. Why wouldn't you be? If you have the very presence of God with you, don't worry that I'm never going to fall off the stage. I should, say never, I should never say never. I know I can feel it in my feet. People get nervous. Pastor Tom, don't step so close. It's okay. I'm good. Okay. Brett's going to catch me if I start to go. I saw people's eyes. Oh, they got right off that spot. I feel weird today. I don't know why it is. You can be a humble person. And still be full of confidence. I can be a prideful person, walking in my own strength, and you maybe have been there with me, and being so torn up inside, thinking, how am I going to make it? How am I going to accomplish this? How am I going to do this? But then all of a sudden, I found out I can walk in humility, understanding, God, you're in control. I can't control this. This is beyond my ability. And all of a sudden, confidence starts to raise up in me because it's no longer about me. It's about who the God I serve. All of a sudden, I realize I'm walking in his strength and not in my own strength. You see, the Old Testament believers, the believers in the New Testament, they knew this secret. They understood it. And they talked a lot about walking in humility. Listen to these scriptures. I'm going to read several, a bunch of them to you just over and over because I want this to get into your spirit. Peter writes, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace or he gives favor to the humble. James writes, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. You don't need to exalt yourself. James says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jesus said, Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Paul writes, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. King David writes, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. John the Baptist, 
the great John the Baptist, the one that was called, was basically was being carried by Elizabeth at the same time that Mary is carrying Jesus. He was being born for a specific purpose. He was all of a sudden going to preach a, a message of repentance. He was going to lead people into repentance. He was baptizing them in the Jordan River. Prepare the way for the Lord because the Lord is coming. The Savior is coming. The great John the Baptist, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Humility. And, you know, we serve a Lord, we serve a Savior that never asks us to do something unless he's willing to do the very same thing himself. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, talking about himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Powerful humility. Humbleness before the Lord. Jesus was humble before his heavenly Father, even to the willingness of going to the cross for you and for me. Humbled. He didn't have to. He never had to put on flesh. He never had to come to earth. He did so in humility under the obedience of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul shares a personal story or personal testimony about himself. We don't have a lot of personal testimonies in the Bible. We have a lot of stories in the Bible. We have a lot of truths in the Bible. We have, we have a lot of accounts that we know about people. But someone who actually shares of themselves, talks about themselves, this is the Apostle Paul. He shares a personal testimony about himself. And it's, you can find it in, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians where all of a sudden he starts to describe that he was taken up to the third heaven. He had a supernatural experience. He doesn't know if he was in the body or outside of the body, but he had an experience that was life-changing. If you know Paul, he was formerly named Saul. He was all of a sudden arrested by Jesus himself with a light that came down. I, I see it coming down from heaven. There was a bright light, blinded him. And I said, Saul, you're no longer going to persecute, persecute me. You're going to start sharing my gospel. I mean, Paul, some, Paul never had a chance. I mean, Jesus is woof, I need that guy. He went after him like with everything. He said, you're going to. And Paul had this powerful, this amazing testimony. Even to the point where he says, I was taken up to the third heaven. I had seen things that I cannot even describe or I'm not even permitted to say to you. Think about how powerful that is. He had seen things. He had recognized things that were so amazing that he wasn't even able to share these things. Because of this supernatural experience that the Apostle Paul had, Paul, was, Paul states in Scripture that he was giving something that he calls a thorn in his flesh. Why? Paul states himself that it was given to him to keep him humble. Three different times it says in Scripture that Paul says that three different times he went to the Lord and said, Lord, Please take this from me. I don't want to deal with this. Please take this from me. Lift this, this thorn. Lift this thing that, that, that has tormented me. Lift this off of me. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, The Lord replies to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my, po my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, we don't know what was that Paul had. Some theologians, and I kind of have a tendency to lean this way, but we really don't know what was that thorn in the flesh. But it could have been his poor eyesight. If you, if you read through Scripture, you find out that Paul had really, really poor eyesight. Because, uh, in fact, sometimes he would say, I'm not, 
I sign this in my own writing. You can see how big my letters are because that's how bad his eyesight is. So he's, he had to have people help write letters for him and do these kind of things. So maybe that was the thorn in his flesh. We don't understand. We, but, and that's not all really that important. What's important is that it was given to him for the purpose of humility. And what I love is this. I mean, you can say whatever you want about the Apostle Paul. But man, the Apostle Paul knew how to embrace Jesus. He just did. Because he responds in that same scripture, in the second part of that scripture, he responds after it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He says, Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. You want to live a limitless life? Then I want everybody in the church to start boasting about your weakness. What's your weakness? What, let's, let's start. I'm, I'm just teasing. You guys all of a sudden panicked. But come on, we don't boast about our weaknesses, do we? We don't share about what our failures. We don't share how we, we don't, we have a tendency to focus on our wins and focus on the great things in life. I mean, you don't see very seldom, once in a while you see it, but you don't see on Instagram, on social media and Facebook and all these different things. You don't see posts, oh, a rotten day, all of a sudden my car blew up. You don't see, mo- most of the time all you see is this wonderful life. It's like, man, why can't I be them? Why are they always getting to have this wonderful life? Paul says, I've learned how to boast my weakness. And that's not to take pride in your weakness. So don't don't take it this way. But what Paul is saying is here, all of a sudden I discovered this. That when I'm okay with my weakness, when I'm humbled enough before God to say, okay, I I get it, Lord. This This is fine. All of a sudden, he slows down enough to recognize that God can work through his weakness and he can make his weakness his strength. And all of a sudden, the apostle Paul found strength in his own weakness because he wasn't working from his own strength. He was working from God's strength. Paul discovered that through humility. So for the next few moments, let's discuss how humility releases more of God's power over your life. The first thing I want you to write down is this. Humility positions our trust in God. Instead of placing our confidence in self, we place our confidence in God. That's what humility does because all of a sudden that we, we rely on God and not on ourselves. It's knowing that God is leading and guiding us through the power of his spirit. The apostle Paul recognized that God was able to do greater work in him through his weakness. And the reason that the weakness can help us eliminate our reliance on self, it forces us to be more reliant upon God instead of our own ability. I know what I'm talking about. There's so many times in life I try to walk in my own strength. All of a sudden God just... Stop it. I'm trying to kick in the door. God just goes, can I open the door for you? Let me turn the knob. It's already open, Tom. It's not locked. Let me just turn it for you. And I'm trying to kick it in. And God says, just slow down and wait for me. That's humility is be able to rely on the power of God in your life. And I want you to understand, when we rely solely on our own power or on our own abilities, we're putting limitations on what God can do through our life. But it's not that God is trying to punish us. It's that our pride or our self gets in the way of what God is trying to do in and through our life. I'm sure you've all heard this, this statement before where you relate to the statement, I'm my wor- own worst enemy. Have anyone say, heard that? Or maybe you've actually said that. I'm my, it's meaning that you're getting your, in the way of yourself. So many times we have a tendency to do that. 
when we remain humble, it allows us to see what God's already trying to do in and through our life. I read a true story the other day. It was really cute, and I wanted to share it with you today. It was about a mom and a little girl, her daughter, that went and visited some friends. And the friends put them up into their guest bedroom, and they got into the guest bedroom, and, and the mama put her little girl into bed because it was late and tucked her in and, and turned off the lights. And she went into bed next to her little girl. And, and in this bedroom, uh, above the headboard, was a picture of Jesus. You know, I, my, I remember my grandparents' house. They had the, Jesus will always look like Jesus for me because that's all the picture I ever saw when I was growing up as a kid. You know what I'm talking about. There's that one picture. And so that's over the headboard. And then across the bedroom, all of a sudden, there's a dresser with a mirror. On that, on that dresser. And, and this little girl goes to sleep, and in the morning when the sun rises, and all of a sudden the, the, sun, the, the, the room is flooded with the sunshine from the window, the girl wakes up, and the first thing that she sees as she looks up is she sees Jesus. Mommy, Mommy, I see Jesus through the mirror. She was so excited that she jumps up on the bed to see, to take a closer look. But as soon as she jumps on the bed, the reflection of Jesus disappears because now all she can see is the reflection of herself. Mommy, Jesus disappeared. She lays back down in bed. Mommy, there's Jesus again. I see him through the mirror. She did this several times. Finally, she tells her mommy, Mommy, I'm... Every time I stand up and see myself, I can't see Jesus. You see, it's just a simple little story. But man, how truthful is that story? What happens in our life is we allow the pride of life, the pride of ourselves, the pride, all those things, all of a sudden they get so big in us that all of a sudden it blocks the reflection of Jesus in our life. And we ourselves, not even that other people can't see Jesus in us, we can't even see Jesus for ourselves. Sometimes we just have to get away, get out of the way of ourselves and let God have his way. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humility doesn't mean that we are not engaged. It doesn't mean that we don't have to work. It just means that we recognize that it's God who's giving us the ability to overcome our weaknesses. It's God working through us. That phrase, humble yourselves before the Lord, brings me to my second thought. Humility submits to God's authority. I believe many times God's power and God's blessing over our lives are discovered when we're willing to submit to his authority. It's not easy to submit to authority over you. Especially if that authority is telling you something you don't want to hear. Especially if it's telling you something that you want to do this and then you can't do that. Or I want to, you know, I want you to do this, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's against us. It's hard sometimes to submit to it. That's why the scripture states that God gives, us, gives favor over those who are humble. And it's important to understand this doesn't mean that we have to be timid or fearful. It just means that we're called to be submissive to God's authority. Let me give you a great example that's found in scripture. It's a great story that I think many of you might know. If you don't, let me share a little bit with you today. There were three Israelites, Jewish young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's their Babylonian names. That's the names that were given to them. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came through and he conquered Jerusalem. And then he took the Israelites as captives. And many of those 
Israelites, he brought them back to Babylon. And the king asked his chief of staff, he said, you know what? I want you to go through these Israelites, the young men, and I want you to choose a bunch of them because I want them, I want to train them. I want you to choose the very best. I want you to choose the ones who, who have a lot of wisdom and insight and they're smart. I want you the very best because I want to bring them into my court. I want them to bring them into my palace. I want them to be servants of mine, and I, but I want the very best. So the four that were chosen that we know of in Scripture is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the story I'm talking about you can read it for yourself in the book of Daniel. And this is Daniel chapter 3 with the, the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are three young men. And King Nebuchadnezzar is kind of full of himself. Um, he decided that people weren't worshiping him enough. And he decided to build a 90-foot statue made out of gold. And he built it. Can you, 90 feet's a long ways, guys. 90 feet high. And people were going to worship his image. They were going to worship his statue. And he actually calls in, once it's all completed and the unveiling was going to take place, he calls in all the governors and the judges and magistrates. He calls them all into the, that center court of, the, of the, the, the courtyard, the palace. And he calls them all in. And then they had a, a person that was like a trumpeter or a, 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 someone that would declare, an announcer that would declare the things. They usually stood up you know, above you, and they would declare what was going to take place, and they declared a decree from King Nebuchadnezzar. I want every nationality, everyone that ever hears them, when the music turns on, when the trumpets play, when the flutes play, when you hear the music, you are going to bow down and worship the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has raised, and it was the image of himself. And everybody was required. And in the decree it said, if you do not do this, you will be thrown to your death, you'll be executed by going into a fiery furnace. That was your options. You had to worship the king's image. Well, you soon discover in the story that the king had some informants that all of a sudden tattletailed on three young Jewish men who were named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they would not bow down to the king's image. So then Nebuchadnezzar became enraged at the news and he ordered them to be brought into the court before him. And when they arrived, the king asked, is this story is true? Is the news about you true? Unlike our news, there's some truth in some other news. But this was like, yeah, this news is true. Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Lord, forgive me right now. And then, then offered them, and just want to make sure you guys are paying attention to me today. There you go. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to give you one more opportunity because you don't understand. If you don't bow down to me, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. One more opportunity to bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused. Then they, they replied to the king these words that are so powerful, found in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue you from your power, your majesty. I love how they're still respectful. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. This absolutely enraged King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he said, I think it was, I don't know, seven times or ten times, he says, Turn up the heat on the furnace. Throw some of that really good dry wood in there because I want this thing hotter than ever before. 
Now, as you read this story, you can see that godly humility does not have to be timid or fearful. You can be full of confidence with, God's, with humility that's godly. Notice that they were still respectful of the king, your majesty. Yet they knew the king's command went against God's law. And not bowing down to, not bowing down to any other gods or any other idols... They could not do that. That was against God's commandments. There was only one God that they could serve, and that was the one true God. His name was Yahweh. That was the only one they could serve. They could not serve any other God. They could not, the the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not bow down to any graven image. They were not allowed to do that. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to allow anybody to tell them because they were under God's authority first in their life. That's humility, submitting to God's authority. So the king throws them to this fiery furnace, expecting them to just go poof and be gone. But instead what takes place is all of a sudden he sees them, and they're no longer bound with ropes. In fact, he sees them walking around in the fire. And then he, he tells this guy, how many guys do we throw in there? They said, three. You can read this story for yourself. I'm not making this up. Daniel chapter three. Three. We threw three in there. Why do I see four? And why does the fourth one look like a god? Can I share a secret with you today? When we choose to remain under God's authority, the very presence of God is with you. No matter what fire no matter what temptation, no matter what struggle, no matter if your house is going into bankruptcy, no matter you think that your marriage is going to break apart, you're going to end up in divorce, no matter what situation that you discover, guess what? If you're under God's authority, you're not alone. The very presence of God is with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were under the authority of God. They had submitted their lives under the authority of God, and they were limitless. Fire was not, in fact, when the king saw it, you guys come out of there right now. And they walk out to the surprise of everybody that was there. They were not singed. Their clothes were completely normal. In fact, in fact Scripture says they didn't even smell of smoke. That's how God protected them. It's an amazing story of God's power in your life. And listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. He says, praise to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, see, this is what happens when we humble ourselves before the Lord. All of a sudden, the decree that all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar made earlier to say, man, if, no one, if, you don't, if you don't bow down to me and to my image, guess what? You're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Let's just keep going. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the, king, they defied the king's commands and were willing to die rather than to serve or to worship any god except their own god. Then the king makes a decree that no one under, no one under his authority, catch this, no one under my authority will ever speak ill of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's god. Nobody will. If, you, if I hear you even saying that, if I even hear rumors of that you're speaking ill of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we will tear you apart from limb to limb, as the Bible says. How the roles reverse, 
Just because three young Israelite men decided to stand up under the authority of God, they submitted under humbly into the authority of God over their life. There is tremendous favor given to those who submit to God's authority. If you want more of God's power in your life, then be obedient to his authority. Again, the Bible says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Many people miss that simple truth. They want to have God's blessing over their life. They want the power of God over their life, but they don't want to submit to God's authority. They don't want to obey God. They don't, that's too hard. I want to do that. But yeah, I want you, I want you. It doesn't work that way. God's authority includes godly leaders who he places over in your life. Might be godly parents, godly teachers, godly pastors. God uses people under authority. And then there's times that God just speaks directly to you and you know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew God's word. They knew how they to obey. And you might be here today, Pastor Tom, you don't know my life, you don't know how screwed up I am. May I remind you today, today that it's never too late to start? Start today. Choose today. That's the power of Scripture. That's why we all stood up and prayed earlier today when we first began. Because I wanted the power of God's presence on us so that we could embrace the Scripture and His truth to make changes in our life. There is a blessing when you are under God's authority. The last thought for you today, and it's really short, so don't freak out. If you want to experience a limitless life, then we must recognize, you must recognize, humility ultimately leads us to sacrifice. A limitless life is understanding that life is not all about Pastor Tom. It's not all about my schedule. It's not all about me. If you really want a limitless life, it's about others. It's about God. Living limitless means that you are willing to sacrifice your life to help those in need and to help those around you. When Jesus' disciples began to discuss who would become the greatest among them, Jesus responded with them. If you remember that story, it was John and James. They were walking down a path, and he said, and their mother was involved. Boy, forgive me. I almost said that we shouldn't listen to our moms, but we should. But sometimes don't let your mom lead you down the wrong road. But they were letting their mom lead them, lead them down the wrong road. Ask Jesus that if you can sit on the, the left side and you sit on the right side. And, and then all of a sudden the rest of the disciples heard about what John and James were asking about. You, what, you, who's going to be the greatest among us? Who's going to be the, and they all got a part of this piece of it. Jesus I just has to be laughing about this whole thing. It just gives me hope. I mean, these are Jesus' disciples, okay? And it just gives me hope as a pastor. Yeah, you know what? God has grace upon all of us. Amen? But Jesus responds to them when they were kind of doing this whole thing. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus did exactly what he's asking us to do. When he said, take up your cross and follow me, he took up the first cross. He died on the cross for your sins. A limitless life is one who is willing to give from their own life. Jesus gave his life so that others might live through him. And there is no greater way to live life than by living a life for the sake of others. We become limitless when we push beyond ourselves 
and we learn to serve others. You want to be limited? Make life all about you. If you really want to be a li- have a limited life, not a limitless life, a limited life, make life all about myself. Me, myself, and I. And you will grow old. You'll discover what a waste of life. Really, living a limitless life is choosing to follow after Christ and say, you know what? I'm not going to make it about me anymore. God, whatever you called me to do, whatever you asked me to do, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to choose to serve you. And you watch how God will bless you. He will pour out blessing upon your life. And we always think blessing finance. We live in America. Every time we think that sacrifice, we think of money. Anytime we think of blessing, we think of money. No, no, no. The blessings of life can be joy and peace and love and long life and endurance and health and strength and all these wonderful things. Sacrifice of life doesn't have to be money. It can be. But many times the sacrifice of life is my time. It's slowing down to listen to others. It's taking a stop and helping someone who's in need. Seeing a flat tire, hey, can I help you? It's serving one another. And when we do that, what we've done is we've humbled ourselves before the Lord and all of a sudden we are under His authority. We're walking with Him and He sets us free from ourselves so we can live a limitless life. So my challenge to you this week, go out before the Lord and walk humbly before Him and watch what He will do in and through your life. Lord, I thank You for Your Word today. Your Word is powerful, it is effective, and it is life-changing. God, I declare as the pastor of this church, Lord God, that we choose today to serve you this day. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There is no other option but to submit under your authority today, Lord. And we know, Lord God, as we do that, God, your blessings upon us will be limitless. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.